Welcome to the Climate Workshop Podcast. I'm Peter Bowden. And I'm Tim DeChristopher. Here on the Climate Workshop Podcast, we are working through the challenges of the climate crisis from the uncharted to the unthinkable. And over our first few episodes, we've been talking a lot of analysis about the climate crisis and about the climate movement rising up to doing something about it. But this episode, we want to get a little more personal to talk about how we deal with the climate crisis on an individual level when we're really trying to look with open eyes at what's going on and take seriously our responsibility to do something about it and and kind of how do we hold that and and how deep do we let that go into ourselves and and so you know i've talked to a lot of folks about this over the years and and particularly a lot of of parents who have young children or who are about to have children talk about how the climate crisis suddenly seems very personal to them as they're looking at at their children's future. And Peter, I know you have a daughter, and so I'm just wondering how much of a motivation has that been for you? And can you talk about what that has meant as you you are dealing with the climate crisis um, while while looking at your own daughter's future. Yeah, so I have a nine-year-old, and I've gone back and forth. When I'm looking at climate change and kind of leaning into that situation, I tend to, there are times when I'm looking at the big picture of what's happening with our world, and often I've found when I'm looking at it at that level, it's very easy to, one, get a little overwhelmed, um, but also to have it become very abstract and for me to disengage. And the thing that's continually motiv- motivated me to act has been thinking very concretely about, oh my God, if these impacts happen, if things unfold the way m- people are saying, what does that actually mean for the world that my daughter's going to grow up in. Uh, and that's when I have the emotions be like, oh, mother, is this like, is she going to be coming of age in like road warrior post-apocalyptic situations? You know, we have like all these big movies coming. People love making the movies now about climate, like the day after tomorrow. There's one thing where it's uh, geo engineering the environment from space and whatnot. I think that came out and nobody Did, really noticed. Yeah. Just <laughs> good, good. Uh, uh, yeah, so for me, it's like when I think about, like, when I picture her in this whole range of scenarios from she's not going to have the same level of stability, certainty I have. There's going to be, I'm thinking at a minimum, like think about climate refugees everywhere. I mean, the whole geopolitical world just everything flipping upside down because people like all right what is africa totally toast and everyone is moving north and all the coastlines around the world pretty much you know over time i don't know how long but at some point we're going to be moving what does that mean um and and so so is it constantly through the lens of your daughter that you're seeing all of that like 10 climate stories a day are they all like oh man this is what it means for her is or do you sometimes have to put some distance between it there well it's very easy to get 
over overwhelmed by mm-hmm. the stories, um, and like too big, too scary, whatnot. And you know, I have a long-standing Zen practice, and so I work just to be kind of mindful of those stories generally. We can talk about that another another time, mm-hmm. but um, I actually use care for my daughter as like the stand-in for all future generations Mm -hmm. that are a little too abstract and it's almost like a spiritual practice when when i feel myself pushing away from these issues i actually use visualizing her in potential scenarios in the Mm -hmm. future as a way to keep me from being like, eh, I can't deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, you know. To keep it close. Keep it close. Yeah. Um, and then once you, once that brings it close, then what does that generate for you? Well, I, that's when I start, I feel more angry. Like the emotions, yeah. like the more raw, like, oh man, we've Trump's doing what in his administration? And there's more emotion. I mean, you've, what about other parents that you've dealt with? Like what kind of, and just people in general, like where do you see? Well, you know, it's like the notion of taking it personally, like not just, oh, here are big issues, but. Right. I mean, you know, there are some people that I talk to that that feel like it's too much to look at every climate news or um, climate development through the lens of their own child, that it's, that it's too overwhelming, that if right. they actually looked at, you know, every new pipeline decision that was being made, um, you know, every governmental decision that that decides to, to promote more fossil fuels and looked at each of those as an attack on their children, looked at each of those decisions as, oh, this leader is choosing short-term profits over my child's life. A lot of them say that would, that would be too much for me to handle that that they need a little bit of distance there. Do you feel that? I would say, yeah, it is easy to overload. And so for, for me, I think of it more like if you're mindful of the fact that climate can be, feel like a big abstract and distant thing, then on the other hand, visualizing your child or you know, your family's future generations, uh, dealing with horrific climate impacts that's like whoa crazy too hard and so but if you're mindful like all right here like if it's too abstract too big too distant it's easy just to lose sight not focus and act with urgency if you make it too personal and are constantly like pick going through life picturing your child or future generations in horrific situations well, that's just going to burn you out. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and just is actually creating probably more emotional turmoil than is helpful. And so it's how do you use those, you know, just different lenses for looking at this to make sure that you are keeping focused, keeping engaged and, and staying motivated to act. Like for me, mm-hmm. it's like the, um, how am I making sure that I'm concerned angry about our <laughs> present state of affairs holding the people i care about you know like loving them and caring about their future holding that mm-hmm. um 
without consume you know just you, you can't get lost in that hmm. so it's you have to let it in but it's about, not let it's, it it's, consume a, it's you. a balance like it's almost a little seesaw yeah. uh, but if you're not if you're not getting back to the whole mindfulness if you're not aware of the fact that hey it's very easy to face look at climate issues and have it be too distant and abstract and it's easy to have it get overwhelming if you're not aware of those then and are just going about your business um like acting from all right what's comfortable mm-hmm. you, you fall what's comfortable and not <laughs> agitating you getting you emotional i think is what does that lead to probably not acting quickly enough mm-hmm. yeah then maybe we shouldn't be seeking comfort so much with that but we should be seeking like a motivation a challenge we should be asking like what's challenging but not overwhelming like how can i take this in without letting it consume me and um i know at least for me i I go back and forth on that you know even though i don't have any of my own kids at this point um you know when i got into working on climate change i was a young person myself i'm not exactly young anymore um but but it was but you're aging well but it was personal <laughs> for me um you know i i felt like decisions being made on climate change were actually a personal attack how so against me um i mean like i remember when i was in the oil and gas auction in 2008 about to disrupt it mm-hmm. part of what was driving me was i was watching all of these oil and gas guys got buy public lands for two dollars an acre to 50 an acre and feeling like that's the price they're putting on the head of my future like that's the price they're putting on my survival two dollars an acre like how dare you think that my future is worth that little Uh, and that's part of what was just boiling me up to up to the point of taking action um and and i've never really made a clear distinction of whether or not that's healthy or not mm-hmm. um, to take that personally. You know, I think there's um, there's a lot of good advice that says, you know, don't take anything personally. Like everybody's got their own stuff going on. Right. And, and I think with a lot of interpersonal interactions and relationship building, that's good advice to never take anything personal. Um, but, but it can lead to a sort of detachment when, when we need a, an engagement on, on these issues. Um, and, and I also see that like those who profit from the status quo certainly don't want us to take this personal, right? That, you know, the part of the mentality of those who, who keep us locked into the status quo is, oh, this isn't personal. This is just business. You know, this is just a a cost benefit analysis. It's just how the economy works. It's, it's not personal and, and they keep people complacent that way Mm -hmm. um and and so i think we need a little of that taking it personal to generate the outrage that that really represents a threat to that status quo do you think there's a sufficient level of outrage right now about no 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 i don't think climate change is an issue that very many people take seriously at all or take personally at all rather um i think i think people are are kind of detached and see it as like a scientific issue um, because it can feel overwhelming to take it personally, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that and that balance can be difficult um and so people turn to to detachment um and because there's there's pushback from from folks who act like it's inappropriate to take it personally so you know a um a story that happened to me recently i was giving a talk at at yale last fall mm-hmm. and i met with a bunch of students earlier in the day and and several of them were kind of distraught because they said you know we just came out of our environmental economics class and our professor professor mendelson said that climate change is not really that big of a deal and in fact it's it's likely to be positive the benefits are going to outweigh the the negatives what do you mean the <laughs> what are the positive yeah i mean i was i was More shocked frequent by this Lyme disease so i was like what how can how can this be what they tell you um and and a lot of students were upset about it and and so when i gave my public talk that evening i just mentioned that fact and that his students were were upset about it and were were challenging him him on it and were not just blindly accepting it um and and we're really upset right yeah yeah they're upset yeah and then afterwards several more students who hadn't been at the earlier event came up to me and said, oh, thanks for saying that. I was so disturbed when he said it during class. Um, and other professors came up and thanked me for saying it and said this has been an ongoing issue. And, you know, and I, and I knew the name because he's been around a while. He's been an economist that for decades has built a career on arguing that the benefits of climate change outweigh the, the, the costs of it um, and that we shouldn't really be doing anything about it. And... And so then a week or so later, I get this note from Yale that says that, oh, the we're not able to put up the video of your talk on our website because Professor Mendelssohn was really upset that you said that about him. And and it was considered this like out of line, unprofessional thing to that like you, that you did that you to name to name a professor like that who is lowering the value that we put on young people. That's that's how he has become famous. And that's not taken personally. Like all of his students just sit in his class and and act like it's not offensive that he is a global voice saying that their lives don't really matter. But he gets the right to be personally offended when somebody calls him out on that behavior. That we've got these these norms around mm-hmm. what's acceptable to take personal and what's not. And that like criticizing somebody in public that way, oh, that's that's not acceptable and, and he's right to be outraged, you know? But when there's the everyday systemic devaluing of people's lives that he's doing, that's considered just business and, and it's wrong for anybody to take that personal. That's the thing that I think needs to be flipped if if we're gonna have a, a sort of like reasonable response to the nature of this crisis and not to not to let it just be business you know i think about you know there are times looking at what um our present administration does president trump and it's like all right here you know think about all the support for fossil fuel industry, the wealthy, and 
like there are times I even see my brain is like, oh, well, they're working to maximize profit. And like, there's almost a time like, I'm like, wait a second, have I been totally brainwashed? Like, you know, like succeeding, making money, being the great business, you know, whatever is like, that's what it's all about. But like, wait, wait, no. Yeah, we, we've been totally brainwashed. That's, yeah. that's how capitalism works. Exactly. They brainwash us exactly. And then I'm like, wait, inherent you know, value. But what's actually happening is corporations and our government committing essentially crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. Not, not people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people who are being affected and losing their homes, their livelihoods, their lives now. But then there's way more to come. Uh, but we don't, mm-hmm. we're not calling them out. Popular media and mm-hmm. the popu- the attention and, and you know, awareness well, of... And, and some of the people that, that I've seen that, that are changing that discussion and making it more personal are oftentimes young people. You know, I think that's, that's part of what like the our children's trust lawsuit of the kids that are that are suing the government over climate change is doing in terms of a public narrative you know in addition to the the legal benefit that they're that they're working towards i think just in terms of the discussion about how climate change is violence against young people and and it's a direct threat to their future and there's like their their faces and their people that are that are putting themselves out there and saying it's about me. It's directly and, and essentially they're me. saying that they have a constitutional right to a livable future, and our government is right putting that in jeopardy. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's definitely an important contribution to to the way our whole society is looking at this. Um, you know, and there's years ago when I was back in in Utah, there was a a teacher of a second grade class that um, that was talking to me that had brought me in to to talk to her class about climate change. And, and we talked about the different things that they could do. And, um, and it, from some of the students' ideas and with talking to the teacher and that sort of thing, what that class ended up doing was they had a field trip coming up where they were going to the Salt Lake City Library right in downtown Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And there's a big plaza around that. And so the kids did this little video project where in this public plaza they were going up to random people and and saying you know on camera they were saying how much extra per month would you be willing to spend on your electricity bill to have energy that didn't contribute to climate change and and people would say a number you know like oh ten dollars or twenty dollars or zero dollars right and and then the kid would take out a um a sticky note uh, like a name badge and a price tag badge and stick that price tag on their forehead and hand the person a Sharpie and say, okay, can you just write that number right there? And, and so then the person who just answered the question of like, oh, it'd be worth $10 a month had to actually write that $10 as a price tag on that young kid's forehead to make it clear what it is they're doing by placing that dollar value. They're placing a dollar value on young people's future, on young people's lives, and um, and that that uh, and that was rattling for folks. A teacher ended up losing her job because of that action. Um, but but I think it it challenges folks to think about this in a very different and and personal way. And so I think that's that's a valuable contribution. So Peter, you talked about 
your practice of sort of when you feel too detached and and you look at this directly through the lens of of your daughter and that brings it back personal do you have any techniques for when you get out of balance in the other way when it starts to feel too overwhelming too personal of how of how you swing that balance back to not let that that reality consume you for me one of the biggest challenges we have is to go about our daily life, especially for people whose work is not, you know, their daily life is not dedicated professionally to climate activism. How do you respond to what's an existential threat to humanity on a, a daily basis? And so you, for me, it comes down to not letting yourself fall into the trap of pushing it away completely, but really cultivating this practice of just within yourself, say within myself, really acknowledging the, the threat and reality of climate change and holding that reality and in, in threat kind of front and center uh, but it's almost like it's sitting right in front of me but not like letting it totally consume me you know like one thing in, with mindfulness practice is when you have thoughts when you have feelings not grabbing onto them like and just running away with the train of that thought or that feeling but kind of acknowledging it's like all right i'm I'm bugging out over climate and, and, and not being like, ah, oh, here's an uncomfortable thought or feeling about climate. I have to toss it away or necessarily pull it into the, you know, mm -hmm. give it a big giant hug and hold it and wrestle with it constant, but be like, there is that feeling and for, like, for me, or that thought. So for me, it's like this ongoing practice of making sure that I am it's like I've got my eye on it, like all the time. I'm not necessarily trying to be immersed in it. I'm not mm -hmm. smothered in climate. But, but when you get that feeling that you're smothered or that you're bugging out or, or being overwhelmed, what brings you back into that position of balance? Oh, so this you may like knowing what your thesis was about. For me, I breathe, like literally deep breaths, mm -hmm. and affirm and acknowledge all of our mortality in uncertainty of how much time we have to live and bring my attention to the things I love and care about mm -hmm. and how I want to spend my time. Uh, I used to be painfully shy and it was my Zen practice that helped me overcome that, including now doing lots of speaking. And it was really just coming to the, if this is if this is my last day or week, how do I want to live that? Hmm. Um, and Sounds like that's you're talking about like bringing yourself back into the present. Yeah, so it's when like, like when you get too overwhelmed with the reality of what our future holds, you bring yourself back into the present. Breathing, right. talking about death or thinking about your death. 
Um, well, and, and all that, and the awareness of mortality being yet another really spiritual practice to be mindful of the moment. And so mm -hmm. breathing, looking at other people, looking at nature, really trying to savor life. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that awareness around mortality is, is something I know we could talk a lot more about, um, something that was a big part of my work at Harvard Divinity School, and we'll, we'll maybe do an, an whole episode we on that. We will. Yeah, there's, there's a, a lot more we can go with, with each little piece of this conversation. Um, and uh, thank everybody for, for joining us for this piece of it, and hopefully you stick with us because there's um, always a, a lot more to dig into. And if you have, if you have feedback for us about these episodes or about the content that we're discussing or ways that, that you deal with this balance around how much to take clim climate change personally, how much to let in without letting it consume you. We'd love to hear those ideas as well. Uh, please get in touch with us and, and let us know. Um, and we'd love to have you as a part of this conversation. Our music is by our friend, colleague, and favorite troubadour, Brian Cahall. You can find us online at climateworkshop.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Climate Workshop. Climate Workshop podcast is made possible by our listener community. You can go to climateworkshop.org and click become a patron. We're in this together, so we appreciate your support. Still a light that flickers is a light that still burns on. A light that flickers is a light that still burns on. I take care of the spark, but baby, won't you lend your pretty little palm just to shield it from the wind? And honey, baby, maybe this light will be burning long.